0: My name is Alec Crawford, and this is Stay, a podcast about sustainability, technology, artificial intelligence, and how they impact you at home, at work, and around the world. I am discussing these topics with high profile guests to give you important information that goes much deeper than other sources. Find out answers to questions like, can artificial intelligence save the planet? And how does ESG investing affect you? We can build a better, sustainable future together. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Stay Sustainable podcast. This is your host, Alec Crawford, and today our special guest is Atso Vamcilovic, future HR owner, chairman of the supervisory board of MBA Croatia, co-founder and president of the Global AI Ethics Institute. Welcome, Atso.
1: Uh, well, thank you, Alec, for inviting me. It's a pleasure to be on my
0: uh, first uh, United States podcast. Very exciting. So uh, y- you spent some time in Dubrovnik, obviously. Uh, I hear Dubrovnik is overrun with Game of Thrones fans. I happen to be going there next year. What what advice do you have?
1: Well, yeah, Dubrovnik obviously got uh, even more popular because of the Game of Thrones. I was under the impression that this hype a little bit faded out, but I'm very happy to see and I'm sure that our uh, tur- tourist communities are really happy to see that uh, there is still interest in that. So um, when you get to the Dubrovnik, you will see it's one wonderful small city. So basically, when you get to the old town, wherever you go, there's a story behind every building, behind behind every wall, right? So it, it, Dubrovnik has <clears throat> a very uh, rich and, and long history, right? So there's going to be plenty Uh, both i would say learning opportunities about the the history of town but also plenty of sightseeing right things that you can do that you can enjoy and depending on the part of the year they have some quite night beaches
0: awesome that sounds great well i'll I'll be there in the summer so i'll I'll remember my bathing suit uh and i you know i usually start with people's careers and i was looking at your linkedin entry and i've got to say you've got a record 21 entries for jobs and positions on LinkedIn. I don't think I've ever seen anyone with that many before, but yet you worked at L'Oreal in uh, human resources starting in 2007, Which, which office were you in and what was it like then?
1: Yeah, so I'm very uh, proud of that part of my career. By the way, I was a little bit surprised. I was not even aware that I have 21 entries, so I will uh, have to dial it down. Many of those are my some kind of, let's say, side jobs, right? Or projects that I'm uh, running uh, uh, in parallel, right? So, yeah, I was working in in two international corporations. The the first is L'Oreal, right? And it was in the Croatian office, but uh, I have visited the Paris headquarters also quite often for some education for some projects, and I met some very, really interesting people that I stayed in contact even even today. Right, the the second international company was a german REWE group and the retailer Billa, which is also one of the quite big uh, employer employers in europe i would say around three hundred thousand people at that moment so yeah i think that for everybody's career it's very good to have a chance to learn the best practices that are inter- international or even global right so then uh, for me the transition uh, was to the, some of the creation companies the creation unicorn right so i had a big advantage of already knowing a lot of uh, stuff that could be implemented uh, on my new positions
0: that sounds great and and in your career uh, who's the best boss you had tell me about that person that's
1: that's hard question right so i was kind of thinking about it for some time but i think that if i'm speaking about people who are like directly my bosses probably it was the uh, cfo was working in, in BILA at that moment she was like a really good manager and good balance of uh, I think that the, the professional skills but also like personal skills like I think that she she leveraged this female energy right to be like also very uh, sympathetic very uh, emotional on one side when it's needed but very reasonable and analytical on the other side so I really kind of enjoyed uh, working with her.
0: Awesome. What was your favorite job besides working for yourself? Oh, it, yeah. <laughs>
1: it's hard to top that, right? So I, I, I enjoyed all of my human resource positions, right? Because they allowed me um, to work with people, right? And <laughs> when I was younger, uh, this, was, this is basically all that I wanted, right? To be among the people. So this is the, uh, the comment that I sometimes get that uh, some other... In the department, like I was the human, and other other people were the resources, right? So because I was constantly like going uh, around the offices, speaking with people, getting their opinions, stuff, stuff like that. So I kind of really, really enjoyed it, uh, and I, I'm not sure that if I that I could pick just one job that that was like the best for me.
0: A part of this, like when I'm doing it uh, in my own company, right? Fair enough. And what got you interested in artificial intelligence originally?
1: Hmm. Yes, this was interesting transition. So, I mean, I was for a decade listening and learning silently about uh, certain domains of artificial intelligence. I have a lot of friends that are uh, engineers, IT background, programmers, stuff like that. So I was kind of following it even from the early 2000s, the the stories about the neural neural nets and and technologies that are kind of gaining uh, awareness in artificial intelligence. But basically, how I like five, six years ago, how I uh, got more into the depth is it was connected first with the human resources. I was researching the human capital, right? So it's in, in the domain of human resources and what is happening on the level of the countries with the human capital. How can we make it better? Or what it is this compounded of and stuff like that? And then I was thinking, okay, but we have this new technology which seems incredibly important. And then I conceptualized uh, uh, one construct that I call the national AI capital, right? So I wanted at that moment kind of to measure to see how are the countries uh, eligible, what are they doing or not doing, also very important, in order to create and implement artificial intelligence. So basically, at that moment, I recognized it because the association with the human capital, which you can, you can kind of differentiate countries around the world based on their human capital, right? And in, in my opinion, uh, this is a very good predictor of the future of one country, how uh, uh, good human capital they have, right? And then the second uh, uh, opinion was that, okay, the artificial intelligence is going to be even bigger uh, a factor that is going to influence the differences between the countries in the future, potentially, especially if the countries their governments do not react on this change fast enough, right So then this is where I started to do some research. I did one let's say let's call it a global survey with a lot of people around the world just to get their opinions and I said okay, this is an immensely in- interesting area. I want to dig deeper, I want to know more. And this is how I started to connecting uh, with other people to doing other researches, write articles and yeah, learn about it on a daily basis.
0: Wow, that is so awesome. And and a really cool project uh, recently was the AI Art Singularity Project and its first expo in Zagreb. Sounds like it was pretty successful.
1: Yes, and it, it is connected to uh, to what we just mentioned before because uh, I was speaking with a few of my good friends and, and we concluded... Yeah, definitely. In two thousand twenty-three, it is obvious that, that AI is is uh, doing a great impact on impact on the society, and this is actually uh, where my curiosity lies. What is going to be influence? I'm not a technical expert, obviously, but what is going to be influence of artificial intelligence as a general purpose technology on economy and and on uh, and on society, right? And one of the things that we concluded is that we need to to explain it, to showcase it to, to more people, right? Because we have, I don't know, 10, 20, 25%, maybe in some countries, of people who are kind of aware of it and who are using it. But there is still significant, I would say, percentage of people who don't understand it, who are afraid of it, right? So then the question is, how can we educate them? What is the easier way to get to their hearts and minds? And this is how the AI Art Singularity Project started. This is actually, technological, educational, and then artistic project. And then we say, okay, let's show them what artificial intelligence can do. Let's create and print, old school print, create or exhibition of pictures that were generated with artificial intelligence. Because our assumption was when they see it, they're going to be amazed and they're going to be intrigued and they're going to be motivated to do it themselves because this was the message from the project not that artists did all these incredible pictures but that like common people created them so if common people created them you can create them right and then on the on, on the second stage the message was okay start using it start learning about it because today we have uh, those tools like Journey, DALI and stuff like that but tomorrow we are going to have a new tools which should be used if we record this uh podcast like a few weeks back i would probably mention runaway the, which is the software that is creating videos but like a few days back uh, the new one is also present it, it's called um moon i, I just re- forgot the name but it, we have like new tools that are even better so basically they are popping uh popping um, every day so this was our kind of intention we launched the first project in Zagreb and it was really successful it was all around the media it's, it is the first exa- uh, exhibition of that kind in Croatia in the region maybe even in the Europe or globally there were some kind of relatively similar things but nothing that was conceptualized and executed in this way because we had like few layers we had like this educational layer we had this academic layer because we want to uh, boost the, the research uh, uh, and articles that are connected with all the, all the areas that are uh, inside of this story, like intellectual property, for example. And then there's extremely interesting for me uh, topic of the future of art, right? which could be a, a specific segment for, for one podcast alone, right? What is going to happen with art, with artists, with democratization of art, with commoditization and many other things uh, that are obviously going to happen?
0: Yeah, I think my takeaway from that is is as as individuals we need to learn how to use AI and keep up with it otherwise we're going to fall behind. Yeah,
1: and and it's I think it's connected with some very practical everyday uh, questions and issues. For example, I was yesterday on one webinar and we discussed the topic of creativity, right? So the usual question is is AI creative or not? And you can you can argue with very good arguments both sides, right? But my conclusion was that for me, uh, in the sense that I'm using it, it is extremely creative and it is making me much more creative, right? Today I can create things that I never dreamed of, right? And I'm facing the limitations of my creativity and my divergent production. This is like, like psychological term, right? So I'm becoming much more... Uh, uh, creative and innovative with the current ai tools right so i think that this is uh, yeah very important uh, thing to, to remember
0: awesome and you are co-founder and president of the global ai ethics institute which i mentioned earlier what is the organization's mission
1: yeah so i i co-founded it with uh, emmanuel goffy in in paris he was he, he's living there he was the co-founder um, and yeah, we, what we wanted to do is to gather the ethicists from all around the world, which we achieved, right? So uh, obviously, the the questions of ethics are uh, very important, but also gaining in the, in significance, gaining in some kind of let's say uh, a media articles going all around the going all around around the world in very different. Ways, right? So from the operational level, we started with uh, with the trolley problem, right? And then we have like ethical use cases. I was just lecturing on one university two two days back about them. But what was uh, um, I think brilliantly uh, um, noted by Emmanuel, right? And then I was when I heard it, I completely agreed with the story. We were basically discussing that something is happening, which is on one side very natural, and that is that all the ethical stories and all the kind of the cases and all the reasoning is coming from the countries and corporations who are creating artificial intelligence, right? So we have the fact that, that is observable that basically uh, if we are speaking about the whole world, there are like 10 or 11 countries who are really creating something significant in artificial intelligence. And then completely logically, those are the countries... With their ethical values and their systems of thinking, who are influencing how are we going to perceive the ethics, right? And in the Western countries, it is mostly connected with uh, with basically Kant's approach of Immanuel Kant, right? And what was what was our goal and the mission in the in the institute is the, to raise the awareness that basically everybody needs to be included in this discussion, that we have like many different ethical standards, viewpoints, and and many groups that are thinking divergently and that we need to be aware of them first. And then secondly, we need to invite them to the table, right? And there is a scientific research which is showing us that there is around 180 uh, uh, systems of, let's say, in general, ethical and normative standards around the world, right? And we are obviously not not uh, speaking to all of them right M- maybe only to a small part. So this this is I would say that our core mission, some kind of multicultural culturality in the ethical approaches when we are approaching it at the, at the highest level. Let's start with that and then we are going to to solve
0: the practical cases what are which are obviously happening today. And Adso, what do you think the biggest threat from AI will be over the next 10 years?
1: Hmm. 10 years is, uh, in this case, quite long time span, right? So, usually, so, so this is my problem uh, when we are discussing, and very often we are discussing exactly that's, this question. Uh, we cannot speak about what is the biggest threat of artificial intelligence because it's too broad term, Right so let's kind of differentiate it first so if we are uh, choosing to to recognize the three types of artificial intelligence we can speak about dangers of artificial narrow intelligence we can speak about uh, dangers of artificial uh, general intelligence or artificial super intelligence so obviously since we are not there yet we are not completely sure what are the dangers of artificial general intelligence and artificial super intelligence right but we are uh, able to discuss this alignment problem. If it happens, then there are very good estimations of what could be potential problems to discuss then, or even hopefully before. But we can even stay on this. Let's say the the lower uh, uh, side of the artificial intelligence, artificial narrow intelligence, right? So it's like currently AI tools, some sophisticated algorithms, large language models that we are using heavily in the in the last year, and obviously we can recognize some some dangers right now. So if we focus on that part, we are having uh, anything that goes from uh, manipulation from artificial intelligence. Um, It's called like uh, uh, AI surveillance capitalism, for example, which is using uh, the privacy concerns, the discrimination concerns, and we have uh, already existing use cases right now, which could be even enlarged, I like this. It is a it is one quote that I'm kind of paraphrasing. The, the ethical questions of the new technologies, especially the digital technologies, are extremely important because they can be replicated at enormous scale. Right. So if we do some kind of mistake, if we omit some kind of information, if we if we use the the discriminatory data set, it could be kind of replicated in a very short period of time, on the millions, hundreds of millions, or even billions cases, which is something that we were not ready before. right? So I, I think that we can, again, we can discuss very precisely dangers of artificial narrow intelligence, but then what I also like kind of to point out on the country social level or an economic level is that one of my concerns is that Uh, artificial intelligence as a technology could uh, uh, make the current differences between the countries, which are big in some cases, it can make them even bigger, but like exponentially bigger. So you have like times 10 now in some factors, times 20, times 100 maybe. But with artificial intelligence, we are not sure it can go... Like times thousand difference between one country, the bad country, the the, the lagging country, and the, the front runner country. So th- this was kind of my my concern and my idea, and I was really happy to see that uh, some really serious publications also kind of recognize it. So there is the article from the MIT that is uh, uh, that is having the title something like "Are we heading into the new AI colonialism?" Right, because we are probably and it might happen have colonies some countries that are just feeding the data the data streams and a few countries who are developing the products and kind of getting all the profits out of it and there are many many potential consequences not only economic but social consequences of, of this I would say distribution of power right and, and on on the other hand and I see it as a political problem that unfortunately the decision makers are not aware of that right there are in those like 10 countries that we mentioned but what about small and medium countries and there is like 180 of them in the world with the political elites who are just thinking about the next elections and they are thinking like four years short term they're not thinking about your questions what what is going to happen in 10 years right and this is a, this is a big problem because in that in that way they are putting their citizens at risk,
0: basically. This this is my concern. Yeah, and have we reached the limits of large language models at this point?
1: Hmm. This is hard for me to say uh, about that. I, I like to speak with the um, with the people with the technical background, with the developers. My my uh, intuition is is telling me no. Not in the sense of the technical development. I think that they are going to be uh, much better much more optimized cheaper uh, uh, like consuming less energy and uh, uh, and taking less money to be trained on one side and on the other side uh, i think that we are nowhere near exploiting all the possibilities uh uh in in the when we are using them right because i think in the ne- in the last 6 months there is like 2000 plugins that were created just for chat gpt so i'm i'm predicting that there's going to be a few thousand more. A lot of them complete trash, not very useful, but some of them extremely, extremely good. So I think that, no, we, we are in the Gardner uh, hype cycle. We will, we will see the peak for some time, I, I, I think.
0: And you are a psychologist. Did that give you any additional insights into AI or anything like that?
1: Well, it, it gave me, uh, I would say, a little bit different perspective. I was I was not uh, technical too much right I'm trying to follow of course on the, on the certain level but I think that when we are speaking for example about the consciousness right about the some uh, philosophical concepts that are that are important for the artificial general intelligence, then I have a feeling that I can contribute in a different way right And we in the global AI ethics Institute created one very, nice document about different perspectives, about what sentient means in a different cultures, in a different countries, different approaches. right? So then I think that this diversity uh, gives me also the chance to, to, to find the questions that maybe other people didn't see or didn't deem important. So also our last, our last paper was about the AI and the perception of time. Also, which has many different components in it, from the ethical to the technical to the, uh, yeah, to all other questions. How, how if we predict that there's going to be artificial general intelligence, based on what it's going to perceive time, because depending on the answer to that question, many other things and many other questions and dangers are going to arise is it going to be from observing something that is equivalent to the human body and our circadian uh, rhythms and our like uh, what what is happening in our cells and all other like biological watches or is it going to be to observe the, the environment the celestial bodies and stuff like that is it going to be the the information processing speed right which is then completely different from the from what humans are currently doing so for me this is a very interesting and a diverse question to to touch upon.
0: And how do you think European politicians might regulate AI going forward? They've already got uh, one set of rules, but sounds like more are coming.
1: Yeah. Well, this is one painful question, I think, because we, we say here in Europe, we object to that, but we recognize it, that it's, it's a reality. Before it was like the United States innovates, China is kind of copying that, and Europe regulates, right? But now we have like China and United States both kind of uh, creating and inventing new things, and unfortunately, Europe—this is our perception, and I think very valid one—is out of the race already. So, what can we do? We cannot join the race in the innovation, but we can regulate them, and the, there are very serious concerns how this is going. Kind of to 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 stop even further our advancement and our like creative potential. It has some very good sides, right? I think that it is reflective of our European values and what what should not be allowed. So in, in uh, EU AI Act, you have like this risk-based approach. So we have like uh, uh, AI products that have no risk and no obligation to report or report about them, and you have those who are like prohibited. Uh, biometric surveillance, uh, manipulation, stuff like that. So I think that, um, yeah, unfortunately, we are where we are. We are not at at the forefront of the development. So then we are trying to do do other things, which is, uh, in my opinion, not perfect. I would prefer that we invest more in research and development and that we are more innovative and that our legal framework is allowing our uh, companies to be, Mm, uh, more relevant on a global level, but we will see what will happen.
0: Yeah, before I I, I go to our advice section, uh, talk a bit about uh, Poza, the charity you started 13 years ago.
1: Mm, oh, yeah. So <laughs> it was an interesting story because I was part of one uh, managerial association that was gathering the young managers, right? And it kind of dissolved this time. And we, we were good Friends, we became good friends, so we were meeting each other at the coffee So then, idea was, why are we just sitting at the coffee and talking? Let's let's have a platform, and let's do all of that. Let's have fun, but let's do something meaningful and helpful. So this is this is how how we started. POSA. it means actually a uh, uh, work and fun. It's short from, from that. And for the thirteen years, yeah, we are gathering a number of people. It's usually around. I don't know, 20 to 25 people who are meeting on, on, on a monthly basis. And almost every month we are having some kind of humanitarian, humanitarian action that is connecting us. But it is also very important that we, we are creating friendships in that, in that uh, environment.
0: Awesome. Now, you've read The Singularity by Ray Kurzweil. So, so yeah. what, what according to him or your interpretation, what should the human race be doing about the singularity and you know risk management around? Uh, you know, we were talking about AGI earlier.
1: Yeah, he did it in the like, oh, it, I think it's almost twenty years ago. Uh, it probably for most of the people and critics, it was like too futuristic, right? Currently, I think there, there, there is. Uh, a lower number of skeptics, let's say, like that, right? So now people are not completely like, this is never going to happen, like this moment of singularity when we are going to have runaway technology that we're not be able even to control, we don't know what's happened. Now it is something in in the domain of imaginable. We still, still don't know if it's going to happen, but I think that a lot, lot of very serious people and global experts are kind of considering it. Uh, it as a, as a possibility, and then coming to this alignment problem. Uh, I, I'm not sure if we, if we even have any, any smart answers to that, but uh, I, I think that the book is very good uh, to, to do the following, let us all get included into the story, because now cards are kind of reshuffling and there are like new seats at the table. So everybody should get included and should be aware. We need to learn about it. We learn. We need to make decisions about it. It's going to be structured, hopefully, in the way that we decide today. So now it's the t- it's the time to get involved. And how can we get involved? Well, first of all, we need to have a certain level of education and awareness. And this is, by the way, what I'm trying to achieve with AI singularity. And now we are having. Uh, AI, sorry, AI, uh, AI art singularity, and uh, we are having contacts in many countries to replicate the projects uh, in European countries or all around all around the world, because it is recognized as uh, something really important to to kind of to get the people uh, learning and 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 participating in this development.
0: Yeah, I mean, sometimes technology or visions of the future go from that's impossible to, well, it's possible to, well, that's pretty likely, and then it becomes certainty. Yeah. It's It happened, yeah. and it happened. <laughs> so how could corporate and world leaders use AI for good today and in the near future?
1: Hmm. This is a question for the members of the Institute who are more following the uh, uh, diplomatic segments, right? That the, we, we tackled it in one of our articles because I think the the fundamental question there is going to be, and it is also very, I think, ethics related, is the question of hey, governance, right? How it is going to be governed on a global stage? Because what we've seen, and it, it, this is very interesting in this relatively recent open letter, right? Which a lot of, Experts signed, and then it, it went to the media because Elon Musk signed it, right? So they said, let's let's stop the development for six months until we kind of discuss what we're going to do. So then we have uh, this like Moloch problem. Uh, uh, you, Everybody needs to participate and, and agree on what we are going to do. If one country is not participating, nobody's participating, right? So then this is the question of, for me also, which which global body is going to take responsibility and care about the development and implementation of AI systems? And is it even possible, right? Because we are having partial interests from different countries from the world. The good example also is like uh, uh, the pledge for the little autonomous weapon systems, right? There was like recommendation, let's sign it that we are not going to to, uh, develop what is called like killer robots right and a lot of countries signed it but two countries didn't want to sign it and you can imagine who those countries are it was the united states and china those were the best in the development because they were kind of we are not sure we we want to be protected and we are not believing others that they're not going to 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 develop it themselves so we are and this is the fear that is driving partially the 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 all the development right now it's the yeah the winner takes it all problem so that the question of of the global body should be okay how can we govern it is it possible or we are just going to let it run loose it's going to be who has the more money and more human capital to develop it we're just going to develop it and then what see what happens which could be significant problem
0: yeah well, look, the last five minutes is a lightning round where I mentioned different things. and ask if you think they are underrated or overrated and why. So we'll start with our old friend, Ray Kurzweil, underrated or overrated?
1: I think that he's right-rated. There. He has some critics, but he, he, I think that he's very well-established and respected in the community, so I would not choose a- any of
0: the extremes. Getting a degree at the University of Dubrovnik, underrated or overrated?
1: underrated probably and especially those
0: new uh degrees that they're having right they need to do work on marketing beach volleyball in the olympics underrated or overrated it can never be uh, overrated it's a great sport and very
1: uh very interesting and especially uh, when females are playing it.
0: being an entrepreneur underrated or overrated
1: uh, I think it depends on a country. In Croatia, definitely underrated, right? We are not very entrepreneurial entrepreneurial country.
0: Kite surfing as a hobby, underrated or overrated? Oh, it's
1: underrated because people don't have the experience and cannot imagine that it's the
0: best sport in the world. Kevin Costner as an actor, underrated or overrated?
1: I think that he's not overrated. He's respected as one of the best uh, actors. So I think it's fair.
0: Using trains to get around Europe instead of planes. Underrated or overrated? Hmm, underrated, maybe, I would say. The book 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea by Jules Verne. Underrated or overrated?
1: Well, underrated because I think that most of the books currently are underrated.
0: <laughs> Two-plus Michelin star restaurants. Underrated or overrated?
1: Mm, for me, overrated, but I'm not a foodie, right? So I, I I don't care too much.
0: And finally the movie Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, underrated or overrated? Mm, maybe a little bit underrated. I, I loved it back in the days when when I saw it. Awesome. Well, Atso, thank you for coming on the show. Uh this has been Atso Momchilovich future HR owner, chairman of the supervisory board of MBA Croatia, co-founder and president of the Global AI Ethics Institute. Thanks for coming on the show, Etzo. It was my pleasure. You were listening to the State Podcast. You can listen anywhere you listen to podcasts, for example, Apple Podcasts. Please like, subscribe, and comment. And you can also find us on stateblog.substack.com. Thanks.